Eric, what's up? What is up? How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Uh, I am well. Uh, do I sound okay? You sound great. How do I sound? Beautiful. I've actually learned the the best way for me and my tools disposable to sound clearly in this is to just talk into it like it's on speakerphone. So that's what I do. Uh, yeah, so I've had this conversation with Seth. I'm convinced that I sound better when I do it on speakerphone, and he's convinced that I sound better if I put on, like, old school, uh, like, wire-in uh, Apple, like, head, like a headset. And I'm like, I don't think so. I think I sound better this way. So I'm going to do it this way. Well, however way you do it, you're going to sound smart because you're <laughs> always bringing excellent coverage in the Milwaukee Bucks, the Athletics, so... Thank you for joining me, man. I appreciate it. For sure. Thanks for having me. The uh, the most pressing thing I have to ask you is, were you in Philadelphia last week? I know this is a bit old news, but it's, it's a topic that's that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, sadly, I was not. I was not in in Philadelphia. Uh, that that's it was very sad not to be there for for Laddergate uh, in all of the. I don't even know all of the activities around it, but uh, our guy Joe Varden was there from the athletic. Uh, so honestly, through Joe's text, it, it really did feel like I was there as he was running around Wells Fargo Center trying to figure everything out. So let me just ask you this. Is this a thing that Giannis commonly does? Does he commonly go out onto the court following a game to hoist free throws? Um, man, I don't know if common is the right word. So deep in Giannis folklore is the story of him as a younger guy um, having bad games and then not changing out of his jersey. Like he would do media after games and then get in his car and the Bucks old practice facility was not downtown. Like right now it's right next to it, like new arena, new practice facility right next to each other. Um, so deep in the Giannis folklore is like, he used to do this regularly. Like he'd wear his Jersey, drive down to St. Francis, which is like a suburb in Milwaukee, um, go to the practice facility and just go to work. Right. Like doing all of his, his whole routine after games. Cause he was just mad that he didn't play well over the years. That's lessened. Um, I wouldn't say he does it nearly as often as, as he used to. Um, but he still does it every once in a while. So, uh, common's a tough word because that would suggest like he does it all the time, but like he does it often enough that I didn't think it was weird when I heard that he went back out there. And then do you, did you find any Milwaukee response to the incident of Montrez Harrell? To me, this is just a silly thing that could end up being some billboard material in a theoretical Milwaukee Sixers postseason matchup. Um, but is that is that pretty much it, or or, or have, have Bucks people, from your understanding, taken any personal front further than uh, what happened in, um, on the court of the center? Um, I mean, I think everyone's just kind of annoyed. I don't I don't get the sense that it's actually like, oh my god, we got to get the Sixers back for this. Like, no, they don't. <laughs> they don't like. We're not beefing actually, here, right? Like, they, they don't actually care. I, and I think like that vibe kind of got set by Giannis because like. Giannis's complaints that night were not really like him actually pissed off. It was more just like disbelief. Like what, like I'm a professional basketball player. You're a professional basketball player. We're both going out on the floor to get our work in. Why do you think it's okay to just take the basketball from me 
and not let me get my work in. Like, I wouldn't do that to you. Like, if you want to go work on the other end, that's totally cool. Like, what is this? Like, we're all here to do our jobs. Like, just let me do my job. And, And that to me, I guess it can kind of come off like angry or upset or I don't know if there's like a great, you know, synonym for, for that description, but overall it was just like disbelief. Like, are you, are you serious? <laughs> like, did this dude really just take basketballs from me and not let me shoot free throws after the game? And, you know, like we were talking to Bobby Portis and Bobby was like, yo, when, when the Celtics were out here in the playoffs, he's like, they had like five or six dudes running line drills after games. Like, this is just what you have to do. Like to, stay in shape and to do the things that you need to do as as a professional basketball player like yeah sometimes you need to go out there and and get some more shots up and do stuff like that so um i don't think it's anger and then i mean i think that like the other part of the story is you know trez is this guy right like trez is brought places to be an agitator this is what he's he's kind of done throughout his, his career so like i think he was largely just doing his job like hey if you can find a way to get underneath this dude's skin like go for it um, we're not gonna have a problem with you doing that. But the other problem is like maybe Trez Harrell's not even on the Sixers by the time the next time they play. <laughs> like they don't they don't play until March fourth. He's kind of on the fringes of the rotation as is. Maybe he's not even on the team. So like uh, maybe and I mean like I've written stories in the past about like Giannis being upset about something that you didn't think was a big deal, right? Like I, I remember one of like my first bigger stories at the Athletic was him telling me that he had circled the Memphis Grizzlies on the calendar because the previous summer, Bruno Caboclo and the Brazilian national team had played well against Greece. And after the game, Bruno was like talking, like he, he, it wasn't even like trash. It was just like, Oh yeah. You know, like they say he's so good and we were able to shut him down and, you know, he's got to figure out how to beat us. That if we ever see each other again, like in group play or whatever it was, and like Giannis, like told me he circled it on the calendar. He showed me texts that he sent to uh, Papa Giannis from in uh, in Greece as well. And it was just like I just remember like thinking, like kind of in disbelief, like, "Are you serious?" Like Bruno Caboclo only played in this game because the Grizzlies had like injuries, and <laughs> like he's a fringe rotation player. Like, why would you? why would you circle this on your cat? Like, that's a crazy thing to do. So legitimately, like, yeah, maybe Trez isn't even on the Sixers, but when I'm in, I don't even know, uh, let's say Chicago in January and Trez is on the team and he dunks on him, I'll be like, oh, yeah, maybe maybe he did have some lingering feeling from that situation. All right, switching gears here. Trey Chatter's picking up a little bit. Um, I'm writing something tomorrow at Yahoo, a little notebook. Nothing too too crazy. Some fun things, but Jay Crowder is definitely the the one domino that everyone is, or not the one, but the first one that everyone's been expecting to fall. There's, there's still not a lot of ex- expectation that there's going to be a ton of deals done before December fifteenth, or even before January, even. But that one's been out there for a while, and the two teams that have been most consistently. Uh, mentioned as teams that are actually invested in trying to acquire Jay Crowder are the Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee Bucks, which Eric obviously covers. Um, I'm curious, Eric, if you have a better understanding than I do as to why Jay Crowder seems to be this clear target for Milwaukee. Is it 
anything more than just they want this small ball for PJ Tucker replacement that was kind of integral to the the championship in 2021. Yeah, I mean, I think over the years the Bucks uh John John Horse is just aggressive. Like that that's just kind of what he does. Um I, I always kind of explain it to Bucks fans that um you just have to imagine John Horst is uh, you know, has like a knob and he can turn it just a little bit higher up for the team's championship odds. And like that's what John Horst is trying to do at all times. Cause no matter what, the Bucks are gonna start every season as a contender. Like as long as Giannis is around, that's just how it is. They are a contender to start every season. And what they can do as the season goes on is, you know, keep making small moves to add if I don't know, if they have a 13% chance to win a championship right now, how do you make it 15, 17, 20. Heck, how do you how do you even make it 13.1? Like those those are the types of moves that John Horst is really thinking about. And I mean, I think when you see a veteran like Crowder come onto the scene uh, as someone that does not want to play for his team anymore, wants to be traded. Um, I think the Bucks are always going to be a team that if disgruntled veteran X uh, is available. Yeah. Like let's kick the tires and let's see, because we need guys that are gonna be able to play in the playoffs. So it's not going to be, you know, guys in their like second or third year that are like projects. It's going to be fully formed playoff proven, hopefully players that you really think can take you over the hump. And I think you're right to say like the PJ Tucker example, obviously that's just going to be something that sticks in people's heads. Like they trade for him, they win a championship. Okay. How do you find another guy that that brings the toughness, that plays defense? Because, uh, you know, throughout the year, names always get thrown around. And anytime I hear Bucks fans mention, like, oh, what about this guy that's really good on offense or a really good scorer? I'm just like, is Bud going to play him in the playoffs? And if, if you know anything about Mike Boonholzer, it's that the defense has to work and the defense has to be great. And, and I think that's why a guy like Crowder – is something that they're willing to entertain. I think where the problem is for this deal not getting done is the Bucks just don't have any urgency to do it right now. I, I, the, the Suns obviously would love to actually have a player that they could play on their roster instead of Jake Crowder, obviously, right? Like that, that, that should go without saying. But for the Bucks, you know, they're 12 and four right now. Uh, they still need to see what Joe Ingles has. That, that's a guy that they really believe in. I think if Joe Ingles comes back and looks like Joe Ingles of two years ago, not last year, he he had a down year last year before he, he tore his ACL. Like if he can look like the guy two years ago that hits 40% of his threes is solid enough defensively and is a really good playmaker with Giannis in the pick and roll. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if Jay Crowder has minutes like that. There, there's, there would be a real concern there. Like, okay, maybe Joe Ingles is your small ball four or whatever it may be. So I just don't think from the Bucks' perspective, while they are interested and while they are looking into it, I just don't think, you know, the Suns are ever going to get them to get to a price that they like. And it, they're especially not going to do it this early in the season. Like the, the Bucks have no reason to do this because, you know, as I've said on a couple different platforms and at, at the Athletic and some of my stories, like the every everyone in the league knows what the Bucks have. They're playing poker with their hands showing. Everyone else is hiding their hands. 
you can see the Bucks hands. They have Grayson Allen. They have George Hill. Eventually, they'll have Jordan Mora. And they got a pile of second-round picks. And now they can trade their 2029 first-round pick. That's it. That's the, that's the full cupboard. There's no, oh, you know, we like that package, but could you throw in a little bit more? No, they can't. They can't throw in anymore. Like, this is all they have to work with. And I just think when you put all of these things together, it just leads to a Bucks team that is absolutely interested, but they're just not going to pay the price to to get this done uh, unless they really have to, or they're going to wait until the price comes down. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing, like a, a game of chicken a little bit uh, between these two teams. Yeah, I mean, it, I would say one thing definitively, it's that, if Phoenix just wanted Grayson Allen, I think this deal would have already been done, right? Like, yeah, for sure. And and I think the the big thing I always try to tell Bucks fans is that the Suns don't want to trade Jay Crowder. They have a Jay Crowder sized hole on their roster that they would like to fill with Jay Crowder, and he doesn't want that. So you have to go, like they they want Jay Crowder. So how do you find another Jay Crowder? There's only one Jay Crowder. So you have to try to find someone like that. And I mean, Grayson Allen had 18 points last night. He's a better three point shooter. He's younger. He's more athletic. He's a little bit shorter. Uh, you know, like he's just not Jay Crowder. He's a good player uh, in, in some of the same ways that even that Jay Crowder is a good player. But like he's not Jay Crowder, and and that's to me what the Suns are after. And it's just tough because while Grayson Allen's a good player, he's not Jay Crowder, and that's what they're looking for. Um, yeah, my, my my other question is, like, I mean, is it really just the fact that what you said, Grayson's kind of just the odd man out in terms of to go get an upgrade, rotation level upgrade? He's he's the one real expendable piece because he does play and start, you know, a handful of games there, like like. It, on the surface, it's kind of curious that he'd be, they'd be kind of just like, sorry, I got a phone call. Um, just on the surface, it's kind of curious that why he's so being so discussed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I, it, to me, it's just looking at the Bucks salary cap table. Like, so if you really get into the like nerdy cap minutia here, like, so you have Giannis making $42.4 million this year. You have Chris making 37.9, uh, Drew making 33.6, Brooke making 13.9. Those four are untouchable. Unmovable. They're not going anywhere. Like you that is those are your core four guys. You've made that decision. They are staying. Then you have Bobby Portis at 10.8. That's the first year of a four-year deal that escalates as it goes on. Um, I don't think that's a, another player that you really want to move or think about moving. Uh, then Grayson Allen is next at 8.5. And then you go through the rest of this roster, and you have Pat Connaughton at 5.7 first year. Uh, or Excuse me, he's going to have a three-year extension starting next year. Uh, so this is the last year that he's at such a low rate at 5.7. And then after that, uh, he's going to be more expensive. You have Joe Ingles at 6.4 million, one year prove it deal. Uh, no one's seen him play since he tore his uh, left ACL. George Hill at 4 million. Marjan at 2. Marjan Bochamp, their rookie, uh, with the number 24 pick at 2.4. 
Thanasis Dedekumbo at 1.8, Javon Carter at 2.1, Wesley Matthews at uh, 2.8, Serge at 2.8. Like, you have a bunch of, like, as I'm going through that list, there's there's a general quality of players. And it's not necessarily, like, good players get paid. But for the most part in this league, good players get paid. And if you want to get to that... Outside of like basic role players and into playoff level role players, you gotta be in that eight to fifteen million dollar range, and Grayson is the only way to get there. Like it, it wouldn't make sense for you to say, "Oh, you know, let's take Grayson out and put Pat in," because one, I think Pat's better. You, you like what he does defensively. You like that he's a small ball four. He rebounds the basketball. Uh, he's He was a 40% three-point shooter last year. One, you like him better. But two, if it's 5.7 for him, then you got to really start adding stuff together. You got to throw a bunch of these contracts together uh, to kind of get to that 10 to $15 million range uh, in a way that you don't have to do if Grayson is kind of like the lead piece. So, I think Grayson's a guy that they really like. Uh, as you mentioned, he's played 14 games this year and he started 12 of them. Uh, and if he didn't get hurt and have like some, he had a sickness as one as a non COVID illness as well, he probably starts all 14 games that he plays. And you look at him last year and he started pretty much every game of the regular season for the, the Bucks last year. Like they really like Grayson. He is incredibly useful during the regular season. Uh, I think they may have some questions after his series against the Celtics about what he can do in a deep playoff run. But as far as, you know, I, this is, I guess I'll use a baseball term, like eating innings, like he's one of their more effective inning eaters. Like he can just go out there and play 30 minutes every night in a way that some of the older guys on the roster might be able to do, but you don't want to have them do. And and that to me is like, it's, to me, it's more circumstance with Grayson. It, it just happens to be that he has the contract that gets you there. And he has the questions in the postseason from last year against the Celtics. Fair or unfair? Like, I, I think there's something to be said that if he's playing in a normal role rather than Chris Middleton's role, he'd be fine in a playoff series against the Celtics. But those questions exist. He has that contract. And, and to me, he just becomes kind of the only piece that can get moved. So... Last real thing I wanted to ask you, and then we got our first call in the queue already from Shardal. Um, and anyone listening, if you want to call in, uh, please download the app, make an account, shoot us a call. Eric will be here for a bit, and then we'll get out of here. Um, Chris Middleton went down to the Wisconsin herd. Someone that, I mean, I can't even count how many people, both with and around Milwaukee, both around the league, said to me in the last six months that if he was healthy, the Bucks would have won the title. Um, I mean, obviously you've heard that trip yourself. Can you just, from your up-close vantage point first, can you kind of share with our listeners why he could have been such a, a swing factor in the entire, you know, postseason picture, let alone Milwaukee's playoff chances? Yeah, I mean, I I think over the years I've, I've been a, a big part of – trying to explain to the world why certain players that play for the Bucks are better than you think they are um, just because of 
it being a smaller market and I think I, I don't begrudge anyone, right? Like that's, that's just how this stuff works. Like they're not a flashy market. So, uh, you know, there's not gonna be a lot of people that talk about them. So, you know, guys like Brooke Lopez, I mean, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, they're all to me just unassuming quiet guys. They, they aren't trying to do a, a ton of, you know, commercials and media and stuff like that. Um, they are just trying to kind of go do their jobs and get really good at it. And, uh, you know, I don't know if people totally realize it, but like Chris has essentially been a guy that goes for 20 points per game, six rebounds a game and five assists per game. Uh, I mean, uh, for the last two years, that five assist number has been right. And in the first three years under Budenholzer, it was about four assists per game. Uh, th- that is the <laughs> that's really impressive. That's really good. Um, I, I don't like. I shouldn't have to say that because it seems so self evident. But like last season, seventeen players were able to do twenty five and five in the entire league, and Chris Middleton was one of them. And then on top of it, you add in the fact that he's a forty percent three point shooter. Uh, he is Giannis's main pick and roll partner. Uh, a lot of times in the pick and roll with Giannis, he's so good as a role man. He's so big and strong and athletic that teams just ignore the guy that has the ball. And they do that with a guy like even like Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday will come off of screens from Giannis clean because they're just like, well, it's going to be better if Drew's taking the shot than if Giannis is. And you can't do that with Chris Middleton. If you give Chris Middleton, you know, the tiniest little bit of space, he's going to make you pay for it. And that can be a pull-up three. That can be a a mid-range shot. He's been one of the league's best mid-range shooters for uh, pretty much the entirety of his career. You know, once he got into like his third NBA season, he just became an absolute killer there. And in clutch moments, the Bucks play through him. And, and that's even even when Giannis is 100% right, you go back to the 2021 NBA Finals, you go back to Bucks and Nets in that playoffs, you go to the series in Atlanta where they didn't have Giannis once he went down with a knee injury. The ball is in Chris Middleton's hands in the final five minutes of the game. And, and it's not, it's you know, it's not a, a crazy set where, you know, you run two pin downs and run them off screens. It's Chris Middleton brings the ball up the floor and Chris Middleton runs the clock out until he runs a pick and roll with Giannis. It's not creative. It's not pretty. It's just what they do because Chris is that good as a playmaker and Giannis is that good as a role man. And, and that has been kind of what the Bucks have done for the entirety of the time under Mike Budenholzer. And it's been a formula, obviously, that worked in 2021 uh, and a formula that I think really would have helped last year, uh, especially going against the Celtics, who are so good switching defensively uh, that – you need guys that can score in isolation and the Bucks have one in Giannis and Drew Holiday is always very high on the list of, you know, isolation efficiency. Uh, but they just needed one more guy. They, they just needed a, another player that could really make the Celtics pay. Uh, and as Celtics fans know all too well, Chris Middleton has been an absolute Celtics killer throughout his career. Uh, and, and I think that's why, you know, you hear as many people as you do around the league say, if he's around, they they go out and win another championship. All right, we'll take our first call from Shardall. Hopefully, it's Bucks related, but if not, we'll make it work. Shardall, what's going on? 
You're on mute. Shardal, do we have you? All right. Better luck next time. Um, okay. So I guess now I'm curious because you're obviously looking at the Bucks, Eric, through the lens of like, how can they get through the East, right? Maybe not now. That's the ultimate context of what this team's makeup is, let alone their own construct. Is there a team that you think Milwaukee's looking at or a team that you're looking at aside from the Celtics that is kind of approaching that tier of those two teams? Because to me, from my seat and from everyone I've talked to, it, it seems like the league has kind of accepted basically that Milwaukee and Boston are, are a leap ahead of everybody else. Is that kind of your understanding? Yeah, I mean, I went into the season feeling that way. Um, it was definitely to me if if the Celtics can work everything out going through a coaching change and, and all that, I think there'll be kind of the two teams there. It'll be Bucks and Celtics. Um, and I, I think for me, when you're looking at, you know, teams over the years that the Bucks have struggled against in the playoffs, you got to look at teams that um, have really been able to slow Giannis down. And, you know, I still think back to last year, there's a game in Cleveland and, they have different personnel this year. I'm not trying to say this, they're the same team or anything like that, but um, you know, they're after a game, Giannis was talking about how well the Cavaliers defended him. And he brought up Miami and Toronto. And um, if you've been around Giannis long enough, uh, you know, he feels like, you know, those are like his two major failings as, as a player is, not being the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals in 2019 and then uh, falling to the Heat in the bubble uh, in 2020. And those two teams managed to slow him down. And to me, that's where it always starts. So the fact that last year he was using those terms to describe the Cavaliers would suggest to me that they are a team that can defend him in ways that make him uncomfortable. And we've seen the Bucks and the Cavaliers play this year. And their personnel just kind of does that. Like, they, they don't have great wing defenders. So I think ultimately in a series, Chris Middleton will get loose or, uh, you know, Drew Holiday can probably make either the two guards pay uh, for trying to cover him. But they have a guy in Evan Mobley. Uh, you know, when the Cavs were in town, J.B. Bickerstaff said, like, hey, after we played the Bucks for the first time last year, we told Evan, like, hey, this is what happened with Giannis. This is how he gained weight. This is what they did from a diet perspective. Like, they showed him pictures of rookie Giannis and was like, hey, if you want to be one of the best players in the league, that's the guy you got to pattern, like, your body after and your strength after and all that. Uh, so you have Evan Mobley on the ball, and then you have a guy like Jared Allen in the background. And, and that has kind of always been the thing with Giannis is that you have to have, you know, a forward that is – strong and quick enough to sometimes get under him, sometimes beat him to a spot and take a charge, sometimes mess with him a little bit physically. Uh, and, you know, when you look back to that Raptors series, it was Kawhi Leonard on the ball, and and that was peak Kawhi, as good as Kawhi could get. And then you had Serge Ibaka, and you had Marcus Gasol, and they just threw all this size at Giannis. And that was 
enough for a wall to make it really hard on him. And then you look at that Miami team and, you know, it was Bam Adebayo underneath the rim and, you know, Jay Crowder getting underneath him. And they were just able to throw size at Giannis that really made it hard on him. And and to me, that's where you always, if you're looking for teams that might be able to make it tough on the Bucks in the playoffs, like if if you're looking past like the favorites with the Bucks and the Celtics, like, the Cavaliers are a team that does that. I think even though the Hawks now, I, I think I recently checked them, they're in like sixth or something like that. Um, like the Hawks, they have uh, Onyeka Okongwu, who's maybe the best Giannis defender in the league. Um, he's just big, strong, quick, and, and can stay in front of Giannis and take a bump from him. Uh, you have Clint Capella, who's maybe the most annoying Giannis defender because he flops all the time, and that drives Giannis absolutely crazy. Uh, and he can pick up charges on him and stuff like that. And then you have a guy in John Collins that's quick and strong uh, and athletic as well, and he can kind of do some of those same things. So to me, those are like the two teams that stick out, uh, you know, like among the rest of the teams there. And of course there's like the 76ers and the Nets and maybe they'll get things right and, and make everything work. Uh, but if I'm looking at teams that I think kind of have their identity figured out and their identity is something that could be tough for the Bucks, those are the two teams that really stick out to me uh, thus far this season. Chardal, do we have you? One more shot. One more shot at it. Can you take yourself off mute? All right, it's not happening. <laughs> Eric, um, usually at the end of these shows, um, I give my guests the opportunity to flip the tables. I asked you a bunch of questions. I know you weren't prepared, but <laughs> any questions you want to ask me? Um, so one thing I've been, I mean, I do try to watch some other basketball in like the meantime. Um, what are the Golden State Warriors doing? Yeah. Like, what, what's what's their deal? Like, because it feels like they tried the two timeline thing, and that doesn't appear to be working. And Wiseman's in the G- is he going to stay down there for a while? What's going on over there? Yeah, uh, we talked about this, the Warriors a good bit last week with um, with CJ Holmes. Uh, I saw them up close and personal in Sacramento last Sunday. They're clearly not playing at the level that they expected to be playing. I think sure Wiseman is the big headline, but the real brass tacks of why Golden State isn't where they want it to be right now is that I mean, their bench unit is just struggling. Jermichael Green hasn't performed to what I think he and Golden State both expected and hoped he would. Um, Dante DiVincenzo has been hurt and hasn't been too, too great either. So when they've tried to kind of build the bench unit basically out of Jordan Poole, those two guys, and a rotation of the young guys, I mean, Clay will will play a bunch. I know Kerr said that when I asked him about it before the Sacramento game. So if you're looking at your bench unit being something like Jordan Poole and, and part-time Clay, because he's going to have to get a rest at some point, um, yeah. and then – one or two of Dante and Jermichael Green. That only really leaves one of the two the two timeline guys of Moody and Kaminga um, and Wiseman really to play consistently, you know, either. So I don't know how much 
I think the two timeline thing is cute, and I think I, I think it gets blown a bit out of proportion from our side of the business and other teams being that like, I mean, there are plenty of other good veteran teams that have young players on rookie <laughs> contracts, right? right? So it's not exactly like a novel thing. I think it just it's the Warriors and they tank really bad and got the number two pick, and he hasn't really turned out to be excellent. So. That's why I think it's really getting spotlighted, obviously. To your question about him in the G League, I mean, yeah, they're hoping he needs to play. Like, he, he, that's been, I don't know the numbers, but he played like roughly 100 games over his, like, his senior year, high school, college, his first year in the NBA. Um, so they need him to get actual minutes and actual run to develop, but they can't really sacrifice those minutes right now because they're, you know, eight and 10, I believe, after looking at the standings today. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think the G League. I had a I had a timeline in my head. I don't rem, I don't want to say it because I don't want to be be wrong. But someone did tell me a timeline. He's going to be there for a bit. Like this is not just a couple of games. So, um, and then does he play through the showcase? That I'm not sure. But if that's the case, then he'll really get a ton of runs. There's games every day down there in Vegas. So. Right. I don't think he's someone that I would. I'm really considering to be a factor in Golden State until next year, until 2023. Um, you know, when 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 or whenever that comes in late December or January, I don't know. But I think they're clearly invested in having him show some real signs of development. I saw he was a minus seven in their last game down in Santa Cruz. So I'm not like setting a clock or anything, waiting for him to come back. It seems like they're giving him plenty of leash down there to kind of run around and feel like he's taking a, a, a real step in the next direction. Uh, I mean, it is fascinating to think about like if they, and again, I know you can do this all the time and maybe this is just like piling on, on the Warriors and maybe it shouldn't, but like, I mean, if they just take ball instead of Wiseman, um, they're in, a better place um, and then right. like oh, Burton, man. and then even on like a smaller scale if they take um you know wagner instead of kuminga like they're probably in a better place and it's just crazy to think that they've I, i'm not i'm not gonna say either of them are like busts or done yet but um you know it hasn't worked out and there's a couple picks that like could have worked better uh for them so it is kind of fascinating to see um, I got another thing in the Eastern Conference I'd be curious about. Yeah, hit me. Uh, the Chicago Bulls are 7-10. and 10. Uh, I was talking to my good friend Seth Part now today, who also is hanging out here on call-in uh, with you. And he said that the Bulls are 0-7 in clutch games thus far, so maybe they're not as bad as their record suggests. But what is their plan here? Like, it feels like they're pot committed, right? Like they traded some first away for Vucevic. They traded some stuff away for DeRozan, like for ball. (laughs) They've done like a bunch of stuff. Um, I mean, part of me wonders like, would it be good to get some of those picks back and start building for the future? But that never seems to be what they want to do. It seems like they're set on, on trying to go to the playoffs. So what are, what are the bulls going to try to do here? I think the Bulls are still in wait and see mode right now. Um, I mean, a lot's being made of Patrick Williams, and you know that Orlando game on Saturday when they benched 
Patrick and Zach Levine for Javante Green and whoever. I forget the other guy um, for that closing lineup. Like, it definitely caused a lot of commotion, I think, in Chicago and also around the league. They've responded and won two straight since then, I believe, or, or one straight or whatever. And I know, I know they beat Boston last night um, in a pretty convincing fashion. So, I mean, they're going to also – I mean, I don't think Lonzo is coming back anytime soon. I don't want to say anything too definitively, but in call, someone I spoke to today said that he's not like – he's making progress, but he's not, you know, coming around the corner. So – I think they're also still holding out hope that he will be back at some point with some window before the trade deadline so they can really see this thing. Mm. It, the worse it gets, you know, maybe it doesn't really matter at a certain point. And I, and they're, I mean, the Lakers will clearly call about Zachary. Like that is, that will happen. Um, I don't know if Russell Westbrook and two first is enough seeing what Donovan Mitchell just went for. And I don't know if Zach Levine gets the same price, but just, that's something I would imagine. I mean, I would imagine the Knicks would call at that point. But for now, I mean, I think the Bulls are just hoping that, that Patrick Williams really can continue. I mean, Patrick Williams is low key playing pretty well right now. Um, he's shooting like 40% from three. Um, he, he took Jason Tatum off the dribble twice last night. So we'll see what he can continue to become. But yeah, right now, to your point, like they spent a lot of draft capital for. T- Nick Vucevic and Wendell Carter was in that package, and he's better than Nick Vucevic. So that's that's looking like a pretty clear loss. Um, so we'll, I mean, we'll see what direction they're able to go. They're definitely a team that a lot of front office people I've spoken to over the last forty eight hours have mentioned as a team they're watching to see what they do. So um, I think you're right on the money that they could clearly be um, a, a team to to make some pretty sweeping changes here. Um, and then I guess also in the East, I I think I've read that the Heat cap situation uh, and the extensions they've given out kind of mean that they're going to be on the sidelines until like, I don't know, December 15th, maybe later than that. Um, are, can they make moves? Are, are, is that a team that people are expecting to, you know, once the floodgates open for this, like to come through it and really go for it? Sorry, I didn't. I didn't catch the team. Just say the team. Oh, the Miami Heat. Sorry, Miami Heat. You're good. Yeah, they talk about a team uh, not meeting expectations. I mean, they're 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 definitely in a a precarious spot. Kyle Lowry's not performing nearly enough to warrant that contract. Jimmy Butler's in the lineup. People are waiting to see what happens there too, for sure. I think the one thing that continues to be talked about is Duncan Robinson. Obviously, he's not really in the rotation at all with the development of Max Strews and other guys. So he'll be out there. That's really the only real thing that kind of is in the, the ether right now. But, I mean, at a certain point, I, I'd be curious what does happen with Jimmy Butler if the Heat aren't really in the throws mm-hmm. of the playoff picture and he's past 30 and has a lot of, lot, a lot of millions left on his deal. That's – that's been a subject broach to me over the weekend. Yeah, as an idea to keep an eye on moving forward. So, I'm curious. I'm curious how things continue to proceed in South Beach. Yeah, uh, is John Collins actually going to get traded? I feel like he's been on the trade block for three years. I was told today, and as I'll be writing at Yahoo tomorrow, um, I don't think there's anything really in the works right now. No. So, man, 
<laughs> that dude has gone through it. I swear he's been in every trade rumor for every deadline for yeah. the last, like, I mean, like, offseason and trade deadline. It's always John Collins' name. Yeah. Hey, man, I'm going to throw a fun, a fun trade concept that Atlanta offered uh, in my article tomorrow. They're clearly, get, they're clearly trying, but we'll see. Uh, it's... It's hard to get proper value back when he's been for sale for so long, you know. So yeah, I'm dubious. But thank you for the time, buddy. This was great. I really, really appreciate it. I love your work. Uh, gives pl- plug some stuff before you get out of here. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, right now at the Athletic, we're in the middle of our Black Friday deal. Uh, so you know, to start the season. So that's a it's a dollar a month uh, for a year. Um, at the start of the season, I had a, an exclusive interview with Giannis kind of going through his mentality going into year 10 uh, is, you know, he tries to figure out this portion of his career. You know, he's already won the championship. He's won the MVPs, you know, what still drives him and how he goes through it. I thought that was a really fun story. I've uh, talked with Brooke Lopez about how he's developed as a three point shooter. Uh, he used the, it's pretty common technology in the league now. It's a, it's called the Noah shooting system. I think yeah. something like 25 teams have it uh, league-wide. But Brooke is, you know, a guy that went to Stanford, really smart dude, loves analytics. And, you know, it's this shooting system that can tell you, like, real time what the arc was on the ball, where it landed on the rim, all this stuff. And Brooke just, like, nerded out over it. And now he's shooting 39% from three. Uh, this season on really high volume uh, just for a normal player, not even just for like a seven footer, like just normal player, high volume, high percentage. It's been really kind of cool to see. Uh, those are a couple of stories that if you want to take advantage of the, you know, a dollar a month for a year subscription special, uh, those are the two that I think I would highlight that I've written in the last month or so. All right. Thank you for the time. Everyone. Absolutely. Thank you. We'll be back tomorrow. Same time for Eastern with Kyle Newbeck to break down what happens. Another scene from the, the Wells Fargo Center. Uh, <laughs> Men's return to Philly, and we'll, we'll definitely take your questions on all the Intel stuff that is popping around the league tomorrow. Thanks, Eric. Talk to everybody later. Take care.